Amen. 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 All right. That was awesome. Thank you, Isaiah and Michelle. Well, here we are again, everyone. <clears throat> Praise God that uh, he's given us a new day and uh, we get to experience his mercy and his grace and we can dive into his word and reap the benefits of, of hearing from the Lord. Um, I just wanted to kind of just share real quickly. I know it's been it's been a crazy last year, and just because again the calendar year turned over, that 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 craziness or that intense intenseness has not stopped. Um, you know, many of us are going through things personally, obviously collectively as the church. Um, you know, so just continue to keep uh, Betty and Scott in prayer as they're uh, they're burying her mother today. Uh, so I know with a heavy heart um, she's doing that, but uh, praise the Lord that uh, that her mom knew uh, Jesus and is at peace with Him now. Also pray, continue to pray for Maria as you have been, as she's uh, on the verge. I'm not sure if she already went home, but she's on the verge of of getting released from the hospital, and so uh, there's a whole new set of hurdles for her as far as um, her ensuring that uh, you know she's uh, being as healthy as she can and getting the care that she's going to need at home. And so, um, you know, just a lot going on, right? And even, um, I'm not sure if uh, any of you had a chance to watch the inauguration uh, on Wednesday morning, but uh, there's a lot that was going on in that, right? As as um, as much that uh, was in that were uh, in a, a, a transition, changing of the guard, so to speak, with President Trump uh, leaving office and uh, President Joe Biden now coming into office. And, um, you know, I did I was able to catch uh, little glimpses of the inauguration because I was I'm also working from home, but um, I was able to actually watch the benediction and that was uh, very interesting to me. I can't say that I was shocked, but. Uh, when you look at the scope of things from the Old Testament and you look at uh, down the line, you look at you look into the book of Revelation and all the things that are going to happen. We're not there yet, but you see glimpses of more of these things coming to fruition. And there was something that stuck out like a sore thumb to me as uh this pastor who who read or I should say prayed the benediction prayed for uh, president joe biden and and the things that uh, he mentioned um obviously um many references to scripture, but the end was what sh- stuck out the most to me um he ended his prayer saying, "In the name of our collected faith, amen." And to the unbeknownst ear listening, oh, that sounds beautiful. That that's that's amazing. Yes, in in the the name of our collected faith, because again, uh, on the landscape of politics, uh, erring on the side of caution, many choose to be politically correct, and they don't want to step on anyone's toes, but want to include everyone, uh, meaning everyone of every faith-based background together. We can't do that, though. Um, that's not biblical. And so when you see that, that to me, that was a really big red flag. I was wondering, why was this man, why did this man not end his prayer in the name of Jesus Christ? Because when you have people from uh, a Muslim faith, they will have no shame in ending their prayer or or making it clear that they're praying to Muhammad, or if you have other people from different various religious backgrounds, they have no problem saying the name of their 
there there would be God, but why in 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 many times some Christians have a very difficult time professing the name Jesus Christ as who they're praying to. Uh, the Bible is clear: if we are ashamed of the name of Christ and will not profess the name of Christ Jesus before men, that Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, will not profess our witness before the Father and we will be rejected. And in this time of everything's inclusive, you got to include everybody. Um, it, we see it clearly, unfortunately, in that benediction. We we claim that this is a country founded by Judeo-Christian principles. But have we stuck to those roots? Or have we drifted off into, well, we got to include everybody. And you can have Jesus Christ, but you can have Jesus Christ with everybody else. That's not going to work. Uh, narrow is the path, Right. And, and, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And so, again, I'm not sure if any of you had caught that when you were watching, but that was a that was a that was another eye opener to me as uh, a red flag pointing to again. Um, you know, we're headed in that direction. So, again, it's not about Democrat. It's not about Republican. Don't put your faith in Trump. Don't put your faith in Joe Biden. Keep your eyes centered on Christ, because He's the author and protector of our faith and these things have to come to pass in order for Christ to return so not for us to be boggled or 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 go hide in a in in a hole because these things are happening but to be aware we don't want to be ostriches with our head in the sand not aware of these many things that are going on physically but have many spiritual ramifications of where we're at as a country and as a world so just be geared up be prayed up be in the word every day and you will be okay and you'll have joy, as Michelle said during prayer. We actually have peace and joy in the midst of turmoil and trial, where many people in this world today they are just uh, they are being uh, clamored with nothing but fear and anxiety. That should not be said of us as Christians. Amen. All right, <clears throat> we will be in Acts chapter twenty-one this morning, continuing on uh ex- experiencing what Paul went through once he got to Jerusalem we'll be uh staying in verses 26 down through 36 so 10 verses today in Acts chapter 21 so I'll give you one moment to get there and then I'll go ahead and read the text for this morning and we'll begin to unpack the scripture Acts chapter 21 verses 26 through 36 <clears throat> and it reads Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seventh day were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they have previously seen Trimophius the Ephesian with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, 
word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. Verse 35, And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, <clears throat> Lord, we come before you again and, and we just thank you for the opportunity to know you more today, to gleam from your word, to hear your truth from your word directly. Lord, may you speak to our hearts today. May you show us where Jesus is in the text and how his upright manner should be held. Help us to live out these principles and what we find here. Help us to not be wayward in our faith. Help us to not deny Christ, but to stand on the solid rock of him who is the author of our faith. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. All right. I've entitled this message this morning, The Deception of Contentment. And as I thought about it, I actually probably should have elaborated a little bit more because some people could take that out of context and be like, well, dude, contentment is great gain. What are you talking about? But it's the deception of contentment in oneself or the deception of contentment in our circumstances or our situations. Uh, that is where the deception lies. And we will see that in the text today. Um, we're going to see what happens what happened to Paul after the ceremonial vow uh, that he took part in. Remember, last week we talked about the, the Jewish leaders were adamant about uh, Paul needing to pay for these four men to be able to take the vow to shave their heads and, and continue on with their ceremonial rites because so many rumors were spreading through Jerusalem of Paul was teaching that the Jewish people had to forsake their Jewish customs in order to be saved by Jesus Christ, which we know is completely wrong. But Paul, in order to see more of his Jewish brothers and sisters saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, was willing to take upon these men and pay for their vows to be done so he could witness to them further on. So um, this is kind of the setting and what's going on here. And remember, again, Paul was under no obligation to the Jewish elders, but he used it as a way to win more souls to Christ. But what we're going to see after this occurs, it might come as a bit of, of a surprise. Because one would think that since the elders suggested that Paul do this, that he take these men, pay for them to go ahead and take their vows in the temple, that everything would have been peachy keen. Everyone would have been happy. Everybody would have been uh, appeased. Like, oh, okay, yes, I see that Paul is for us and not against us because he's allowing these men to take their vows and they're still believers in Christ. But that's exactly the opposite of what we see in the text here this morning. The rumor of Paul teaching that Jewish converts they had to forsake their customs. 
it got out of hand and it got to a point where it whipped people into a frenzy, the masses. It whipped these these many Jewish men, these young Jewish people and old at the same time into just this mob mentality. Um, and we've seen it before. Whenever you get a bunch of people together and they're basing their belief on assumptions and not truth, or what would some people would say relative truth, which is actually a lie, but it's not true and it's not founded on facts. They're going off of assumptions or their beliefs or their opinions. It gets everybody going crazy and people don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. And there's just confusion. There's utter chaos and it's it's a move of confusion. And that's what we see going on in our text this morning. So we'll see, uh, you know, what happened to Paul and how he dealt with it in uh, this context this morning. So we have several main points. And the first one is this, your position as well as my position in Jesus Christ will cause commotion amongst some people. Like we learned last week, because of the fall, we are all broken and spiritually blind until we are convicted of our sin and we receive Jesus Christ into our hearts as our personal Savior. Being that that is the case, that is the truth. Now, there are two trains of thought. There are people that identify with that and acknowledge that. And there's another group of people that deny that. I'm not going to get into that because that's a whole other subject. That's a whole other sermon, even though there's obviously going to be bits and pieces of that every time because that is the gospel. But those are two trains of people, two trains of thoughts. People either acknowledge the fact that they're fallen sinners and they need regeneration. They need to be uh, rescued. They need to be saved. Or other people think there's nothing wrong with me. I'm totally okay. I'm fine. I don't need a handout. I don't need a gift of salvation. I'm fine. I'm good with God as I am. Being that that's the case, when people are spiritually blind, they simply cannot understand spiritual things. They can't. Spiritually blind people are dead to the light of the gospel until conviction comes upon them, until the grace of God penetrates or the convicting nature of God penetrates a hard stony heart. Think of your own life before you were converted, before you were truly changed. You had no real bearing on what spiritual matters meant. You were engulfed in the world. You were engulfed in the flesh. Now, as a daughter or a son of the Most High God, you see the difference between the flesh and the spirit, right? You see the clear difference. We live out in a third dimensional world, but there are spiritual ramifications to everything physical that goes on in the world. But when you're spiritually blind, you can't determine the difference, but now you can. So Paul's Jewish brothers and sisters here that were caught up and whipped in a frenzy, they were still spiritually blind. And so this was a big part of why they were doing what they were doing because they really, and it's not an excuse, but it is the reality that they honestly didn't know any better because they were blinded to the truth. They were deceived by the lie. They were Uh, under the influence of a deceiving, deceptive spirit, which we know is a satanic spirit. And this is what was going on here. Whether they are good or bad from the Lord or from Satan, 
if you are not spiritually awakened, you cannot tell the difference. That's why, again, it's so important to recognize and acknowledge who Christ is. Acknowledge that own sin in your life. And even even in that, so that is a gift. Even the conviction that comes upon us is a gift from God because we can't we can't convict ourselves. We can't. We truly can't. That's why for some reason some people walk off and they live 80, 90 years of their lives. So they're never convicted of anything. I just watched uh what is it? That was a I got sucked into it last night. There was an American Greed story on MSNBC. It was about this lady named Keisha Williams and she was you know, a hedge fund person, but she basically embezzled all kind of money. She lied and swindled for two years straight, all these different people, millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, she was swearing that they were going to get their returns, this and that, but she would go on lavagant, extravagant, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, trips and spend, uh, absurd amounts of money on a lot of material things. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> pray for that person. That person is in prison now, serving 15 years for all the the wrong that they've done. But uh, during that time, it seemed as if there was no conviction upon this person. They could lie and swindle and cheat. Um, there were, there were, there were, they showed things of, of, of two years of text messages that the FBI uh, recovered from her cell phone over thousands of text messages. And in, in one breath, she would say, uh, you know, to, uh, to one investor uh, or one client, oh, I'm going through all this and that. I'm having health problems, this and that, blah, 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 blah. And then, and then five minutes later, she was saying, talking bad about them, saying she was at Applebee's at a bar having a $3 Jack Daniels waiting on them, waiting for the money to come in. And so again, you just, I use that as an example and that's a real life example because again, without the convicting, uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we, we really don't care. Honestly, we really don't. And we're, we're so off into our own thing that we're just blinded to the reality of what's really going on. And again, that's just to emphasize, this is what was going on with this group of people that was all whipped up into a frenzy trying to kill Paul because of their supposed, uh, understanding that Paul was teaching false truth when he really wasn't. All right. Again, assuming when assumptions are made without figuring out what is really going on, this leads to confusion as well. And this is what we see. This is what is we see played out in the behavior of the masses in our text. Okay. The next main point is this. Your faith in Christ will be tested. There's just no question about it. And you think of your own life today. I'm sure you can recall Maybe you're going through something right now where your faith in Jesus Christ is being tested. Now, tests come in many different forms, many different sizes, many different shapes, many different uh, levels of extremity. Uh, but in some way, shape or form, your faith and my faith in Jesus Christ will be tested. You can bank on that. You can take it to the bank. That's just part of your walk with the Lord. It's going to happen. Some will ask this age old question, right? Why must we face hardships as believers in Christ? <laughs> Why do we got to go through hard times? Why do we got to go through hard times? I believe in Christ. I've given my life to him. I, I, want, I, want, I want the good times. I want, I want fun. I want peace. I want no pain. Well, this is a twofold answer to that question. The first reason why we must face hardships as believers in Christ and you are smart people. You are like the Bereans. You study the word of God. You know this. It's simply because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world full of sin. We live in a world where the first Adam 
that was created was never supposed to die a physical death. But when he chose to partake in that fruit that his wife offered him, and when Eve took it from the tree, that was it. Their physical bodies that were never supposed to perish were now going to experience death. They were going to experience pain. They were going to experience toil in the way that work was supposed to be a grandiose thing. Before that time, Adam had a great time, you know, doing work. But once the fall happened, now it was toil, you know, difficulty, hardships, pain. That's one reason. It's because we live in a fallen world. There's no way around it. Because sin has entered the world, you're going to face hardships. You're going to face hardships even if you're not a believer in Christ. Every human being will face hardships because we live in a world filled with sin. A world that is going to end in fire. That's what's going to happen to this world. It's going to be eradicated. It's going to be burnt to a crisp. That's going to be what's going to happen to this world. And then the new heaven and the new earth will be created upon God's perfect timing. The second answer to this twofold uh, answer to this question of why we must face hardships as Christians is because without hardships, your faith and my faith will never be tested to see if it's even genuine or not. See, hardships, they determine the level of our faith. They determine the depth of our faith. How can you exhibit strong faith in Christ if your faith is never tested? You can't. There's no way around it. Many times during Jesus' ministry, people only came around for the miracles. They wanted the healing. Right? They wanted they wanted the 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 bread, they wanted the fish, they wanted the wine, they wanted all these things that he could provide for them. But when hard times came, many people fled. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus Christ when difficulties came. When they saw suffering, they weren't willing to suffer with him. They weren't willing to suffer for his sake. They were out because again, we like that posh life. We like the comfortability. We like the the normalcy of life. We don't like when 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 our when our day gets rattled. When we get shooken out of our normalcy, we're like, no, we're doing. We'll do anything in our power to keep things as normal as possible. You look at the pandemic. You know, there's many people who want to go back to the way things were. I'm sorry, it's not happening. I don't know what the future holds, but where you can't go back. Right, you can't go back. There's some people that are stuck on Trump needs to be in office. Get over it. You know, get over it. Biden's in office now. Pray for that man just like you prayed for Trump. Don't put your faith in Trump or Biden. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. The whole point is we can't go back. We're on a trajectory moving forward. The day you were born, the day I was born, set a date for the day you were going to die and the day I'm going to die. You can't go back into the womb again. You're on a trajectory to the end of your life and to an eternal life. And so the quicker we learn that, the quicker we're going to understand that it's okay. There's things that we're going to go through. We're going to be okay with it. Look to Christ to seal your peace and to keep you whole despite the difficulties you may go through. Remember, what happened? There were many fair weather followers of Christ. Remember the time when Jesus healed 10 lepers. What happened? He healed 10. He healed them all. They were all healed. 
messed up to where they were out, out, you know, exiled from the community, could not be with the with the group of regular people. He healed them all. Now they can go anywhere. They can have normal lives. Nine bounced. They didn't even say thank you. Only one came back. Only one. That's one out of ten. Hopefully that statistic is not a statistic of what's real within the church. Because that means only one out of ten people really are genuine with their faith and really care. While nine others would get blessed by the Lord and not even think twice about it. But you see that, you see that example of many people really don't take it serious. Many people are not going to be willing to suffer for Christ when hard times come. Hopefully, praise the Lord, that we would all be that one out of ten that would be willing to stand upon the rock of Jesus Christ despite difficult times heading our way. Unfortunately, we still see this idea alive today, but we have a great example from Paul and his perseverance as he was in it for the long haul. And ultimately, our greatest example is Jesus Christ when he allowed himself to hang upon that tree and die a sinner's death to redeem all of mankind. He despised the shame and he hung on that cross and he laid his life down so that we may have eternal life. That's a beautiful thing. That's something we should always be just in so much joy about every day that we wake up knowing that we have the saving grace of Jesus, that he was willing to do that for us. So we should be willing to do that for him, whatever that calls for in our walk with him. All right. Our third main point is this. Being spiritually blind it always leads to confusion. Being spiritually blind is like trying to find a needle in a haystack, right? As silly as that sounds, has anyone ever tried to find a needle in a haystack? It's next to near impossible. And even if you were to find that needle in a haystack, that that needle would be full of false contentment, false security, false completeness, right? Uh, being spiritually blind, your endeavors are all off. You're off the mark and you're trying, you're shooting for things that are never going to satisfy you. They're never going to appease that emptiness in your soul that only Jesus Christ can provide. And that goes for all the other false religions. You could seek after all these other gods, but Jesus Christ is the only true and living God that reached down from heaven into the muck and the mire and the depravity of our world and pulled us out. All the other religions, you have to work <laughs> to be right with this supposed God. And even then, you don't even know if you're even going to be accepted by this God. Why would you want to serve a God like that when you have the option of serving the true and living God who says, not by your works, not by your effort, not by your might, but by my will, my strength, my power, my mercy, my grace. I've done it for you. All you have to do is take upon my yoke and you'll be saved. It's a no-brainer. But again, without conviction, that's never going to be possible for an individual. So again, we see how conviction is such a beautiful thing. If you're convicted today, if you've been convicted this week of something, praise God. If you don't get a prick in your heart anymore about things that go on in your life, then you have a very big problem and you need to get on your knees as quick as possible and ask for the Lord to give you conviction and give you true repentance so that you may be cleansed of the unrighteousness in your heart and you can be made right. Trust me, because I go through it all the time. <laughs> it's an important thing. It's, it's something to embrace. Conviction is a great thing. As we see 
with the masses in our text, text, excuse me, some wanted to kill Paul, while others didn't really know what to do. They also assumed that Paul brought a Gentile into the temple when that wasn't even the case. Because of their lack of vision, they had no clear understanding of what was right and what was wrong. The deception of the enemy led many to be content in believing that keeping the law of Moses would save them. And that was the real kicker. That was what was going on here. They didn't want to change. They didn't want to believe that I need Jesus more than I need to keep the traditions. And that's where the deception crept in. Because again, we are we are creatures of familiarity. We are creatures that breed contentment in normalcy. And when our normalcy gets rocked, many times we get abrasive, we get angry, we get defensive. And when you have people that are led by an unclean spirit and nobody can think for themselves and we in our carnality just gravitate to whoever has an infectious uh, personality, we just go with them and we just do what they do. And we say, oh, well, that's true because this person seems persuasive. They have a bunch of, you know, uh, dots and, and, and initials after their name. They have PhDs and HHDs and MFDs. And oh, well, they must be smart. They must be good scholars. They went to Harvard. They went to, and I'm not saying that going to school is, is a bad thing. But you got to use discernment. Just because someone has a prestigious title uh, after their name doesn't mean that they're spiritually awakened. But when spiritually blind people lead spirit, follow spiritually blind people, you have this whole nonsense going on. And it's very bad. And this is what we see in the text today. They just followed one another and they didn't even know what to do. Some wanted to kill him. Some wanted to. They didn't know if they should kill him, but they just went ahead with the mob mentality. How sad that is that unfortunately some things never change. Okay, let's go ahead and break into our text now and actually delve into these scriptures. Verse 26, it says, Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So again, we see that Paul is here and he's saying, you know what, I can sponsor these four men taking this vow because I know that ultimately it's not the vow that's saving them. It's Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Christ that's saving them. But as a Jew, if they felt led to continue on in the customs of a Jewish person, that was quite all right. So long as they didn't look to these traditions to save them. So Paul said, you know what? It's all good, dude. I can, I can, I can be okay with this because I know that there's liberty in Christ. Just the same way that if a Jew did not want to practice the Jewish customs anymore, they should never be scorned and looked down upon for not continuing on with these traditions. And if they were looked down upon, that's obviously a false eye that's looking upon them, trying to scorn them because there's freedom in Christ. There's liberty in Christ to serve him, not to have to serve traditions or to serve laws. So that's why Paul was okay with doing that because he wanted to see these uh, more people saved. And if this, uh, this exhibit of him being okay with these men being consecrated for this vow was going to happen, then he said, so be it. He had shown them that their ceremonies were useless, but not destructive, that they were only dangerous, again, when they depended upon them for salvation. It's important to understand that this offering that they partook in, it was an animal sacrifice, 
was not only it was um, excuse me was in no way uh trying to make a purpose for atonement or forgiveness but it was uh more for thanksgiving or dedication that's what this that's what this animal sacrifice was for that they were getting prepared to do so that's kind of what was going on with this verse right here in 26 okay let's move on to the next few verses verses 27 down through 30 and it says when the 7 days were almost completed the Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him crying out men of Israel help this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place moreover he even brought greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place for they had previously seen tromiphius the ephesian with him in the city and they supposed that paul had brought him into the temple then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together they seized paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. So we see a few things here. The first thing that this mob claimed was that Paul was against the people of Israel. And we know that's not correct, but this is what they profess. This is what they claim. Paul, you're against us. You're not for us. You're against us. The second thing we see is they accused Paul of being against the law, which we know is not true, but they claim that. They also said that Paul was against the holy temple. But these accusations were unfounded. They weren't true. There was no basis for that other than a deceiving spirit. There was no concrete evidence or proof that Paul did this. They went on assertions. They went on assumptions. These assumptions weren't correct. And if anything, they should have sought out... You, you, know, that, you know that old saying, unless you hear it from the horse's mouth, right? Why, would, why wouldn't they just go to him and say, what did you do? What were you trying to do? But instead, they made this assumption and they just went ahead with it and a lot of bad uh, was coming about from it. Paul simply rejected trust in any of these as a basis for righteousness before God, which comes only through Jesus Christ. That's what he was saying. He was just saying, I'm not trusting in salvation for these things. You want to partake in them? That's fine. We talked about this last week. You know, you have Chris, we have Christmas traditions, that's fine. Some people are into having Christmas trees up. Some people look at it as, dude, you're a pagan. Why would you have a Christmas tree up? Don't you know where all that spawned from? You know what? The basis of your salvation has no bearing on whether or not you want a Christmas tree up uh, during Christmas time in your house. You know, it only becomes an issue when you look to the Christmas tree or your Christmas traditions to save your soul. Now we got a bigger problem that we have to address. But this is kind of the same thing that was going on here. The application is this. If we trust in anything else besides the shed blood of Jesus Christ for redemption of our sins and eternal life, we are in complete opposition of God Almighty. And that's the bottom line. Um, it goes back to that whole benediction where the pastor said, in the name of our collected faith, amen. You trust in anything else other than the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you're wrong. You're now you're now an enemy to the Lord. You have enmity between you and him. You're going to you're going to incur his wrath because you're basically trampling on the blood of Christ and saying, "You know what? The blood of your son means absolutely nothing. You lost nothing when you gave your son up to die for the sins of the world." That's what we're saying when we say, "I reject Christ. I don't care. I don't want him in my life. I got my own means of salvation. I don't need you." That's a very dangerous, scary place to be. Again, 
we see the importance of conviction because without conviction, one could never come to that final understanding of, wow, I'm a sinner. I deserve to die. I don't deserve to be having the Lord of all creation give his life for me so I can be right. That conviction turns into repentance, true repentance, then you get saved, right? That's how all that happens. But again, it's a it's a very important part of uh, any individual spiritual walk. But we cannot trust in anything but the shed blood of Christ to make us right with God the Father. In Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone. That is the reality. There's nothing else me or you can add to it. Remember, our good works are but uh, a filthy rag to him. He doesn't want it. I'm not going to get into what a filthy rag actually is, but it's not something that anybody's going to want to hang up and, and parade around their house or give to somebody as a gift. So God's saying the best things you do, you could feed orphans and do all this and help homeless people and, and make soup kitchens. But you know what? If you're not doing it honestly in order to honor the Lord, and if you're looking to those works to make you right with God, it's a filthy rag to him. We got to have our perspective right of why we're doing good things in the first place. It should be an outpouring of the good that's been done to us, and we're not looking to glamorize the good things that are done through us, right? And that's what he's saying here. Next, we see that the charges against Paul were... Actually, if you look back to earlier in Acts, they were an echo of the charges that Stephen was accused of. Remember when Stephen, the first martyr, they, man, he just laid out the truth. They hated the truth. They hated him. And again, this is all, uh, you know, basically archetypes of Christ because Jesus is our, our greatest example. Jesus gave the truth. Many people despised him. They hated him even the more because of the truth that he brought. Because again, we all have a conscience. Maybe we haven't got to that point of conviction, but we all have a conscience. And when our conscience gets tickled, we don't like that. And what do we want to do when our conscience gets tickled? If we don't want to change, we try to silence that conscience as quick as we can. And that's where that hate and that anger and that frustration came out against Jesus, against Paul, against Stephen. Because, man, the truth it's not going to let you get away with the truth is the truth. And we, if we don't want to acknowledge the truth, it makes us unsettled. It makes us not right. We've all been there. <laughs> we've all been there when we've been exposed for something. And you know what I'm talking about when you're just like, ugh, you know, you could take two roads with it. You can either repent and get right, or you can kick against the goads and just cause a bunch of havoc on your life and other people's lives. And it never ends good when we go that route, right? When we're rebellious, when we're continuing to not want to hear the truth and we try to suppress the truth. The book of Romans talks about it all the time, suppressing the truth, suppressing the truth for a lie. Man, you know, he, 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 it's evidence of him everywhere, but you know, we, we love the darkness rather than the light and that should not be so. So that's why, again, prayer, interceding for people is so important because people need conviction. People need to be aware that they don't, they should not be in that position. Anyways, back to this. Uh, you know, when it came to Stephen, it might have been brought to his attention because remember, Paul actually presided over the execution of, the, of, of Stephen. And now he's actually being accused in a similar way. We are seeing, remember... Uh, just before, several verses before, back, remember, all the people, they were trying to tell him, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem, man. You're going to face persecution. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. 
Paul was like, you know what? I already have made peace with the Lord. I'm willing to lay my life down for him. I know my security in Christ. I'm going to be okay. We're actually seeing these trials beginning to play out here in Jerusalem. But we must remember, again, that he was willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. He counted the cost. He counted what it was going to cost him. And he was at peace with that. He was willing because he recognized and he had a, a real faith. When you have a genuine faith, you understand, man, if the worst that's going to happen to me is I'm going to die physically, dude, I, I'm and, and Jesus has my soul eternally, and I, I cannot face eternal uh, judgment or death. Uh, I will not be in the lake of fire. I will be at peace with him. I will be in my father's house and, you know, the place that he prepared for me in heaven. You're going to be, you're going to have an easier time dealing with death as opposed to someone who's they're holding on to this life with all they got because they have no peace with God at all. And that's what we see here with Paul. Paul said, you know what? Whatever I face, I'm going to be okay with because I know the Lord's got me. And I pray that that's all of us today. Wherever we're at today, we're at peace with whatever goes on, Lord. I know you got me and I, I, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in you that there's more than this world. Uh, Daniel had uh, with the man, I'll just share this little quick comment because I feel it's timely. Um, you know, he had shared a Keith Green song and uh, talked about how, you know, God made the world, created the world in, in, in six days. But heaven, he's taken, you know, like a 2000 years to make. And it's like the, the, the singer basically was alluding to, man, if that's the reality, then this earth is like a trash can compared to what's awaiting us in heaven. And man, praise God for that. That you know what? When you get down in the dumps, not literally speaking, but when you're down in the dumps, right? Think about that. Remember that. The Lord has spent so much time preparing a new heaven and a new earth for you. This is not it. This is the tip of the iceberg. And it brings me back, I will say it, about that lady who got caught, you know, embezzling all that money, you know, buying all these expensive things, buying all this jewelry and stuff. That's nothing. You know, those price tags, the money, you know, all that. It's nothing. It's nothing compared to the riches that are in Christ, let alone the riches that are in heaven. This world, it's not it. It's not all it is. Don't, don't, don't give your life for this world. Don't forsake Jesus Christ for the trappings of this world, for what you can obtain in this earth. Because it's fleeting, as the, the book of Ephesians said says, right? It, 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 you know? it's like wind here one day gone the next so again don't let yourself get wrapped up in that all right all the city was disturbed and the people ran together okay so it's not talking about the east side <laughs> was disturbed it's not talking about the it was just the north side it's talking about all four sides of the city everybody is disturbed people are in an uproar everybody ran together um, one of the main reasons why this 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 crowd was enlarged because it was at feast time, right? So they gathered during this time of the ceremony. So a lot of people came out. So culminate that with the lie and the rumor of man, Paul's teaching that you ain't supposed to keep your Jewish customs. You got to be saved by Jesus Christ, but you can't keep your Jewish customs. You got to forsake all that. Man, people that are unstable in their faith to begin with, people that are spiritually blind, people that are still seeking, that don't know, they're able, they're able, they're able to be easily influenced, they're able to easily be tugged this way and that way. Man, they worked them into a frenzy and they just they went crazy. A mass group of people performing under the influence of a mob mentality. Not good. Without people led by the Holy Spirit, they're going to be led to their own understanding. And we see this clear as day today. 
A lot of people are led by their own understanding, which we know is not good. Don't trust your own understanding. You can't trust your own understanding. You got to allow the Lord to help you decipher what is correct and what is false. Leading, leaning on your own understanding, it leads to poor choices. When you get a bunch of people who are spiritually blind together, People tend to rely on the influence of others to guide them. Whoever's the most influential person, oh, well, he's a good speaker, or he has a lot of money, he has a lot of power, or she has, you know, a lot of good looks, and she has a lot of good people around her, so I'm going to go with her, right? They go on based on that. That's your own understanding. That's not good. Are you going to follow someone just because they have a whole lot of money? That's not smart, that's not wise. That's, that's human wisdom. That's not God's wisdom. We know God does things completely backwards. Look at Jesus. Everyone said, oh, we need a commander. We need someone who's going to come with a sword and a spear and chop everybody down. And that's what's going to bring the Romans to their knees. Jesus came as a humble servant the first time. He didn't come like that. He came totally opposite of what they thought. You know, so much so that they mocked him and gave him a crown of thorns. You know, next time he's going to come with a crown of glory and a sword out of his mouth. It ain't going to be no joke. But again, we cannot lean on our own understanding because we're, they, we're basically living as spiritually blind people when we do that. And that's what they were doing here. If people are following wrong people who are spiritually blind, you know the saying. It's basically what? The blind leading the blind. And that's exactly what we got going on here. An example of this. We've seen this a couple of weeks ago. This unhealthy spirit alive and well, even in our own country, deceiving people. Uh, the storming of the Capitol building several weeks ago. You know, I'm going to say it like this. I believe it's the truth. No matter where you sit on the political realm, what happened there, the way it happened was wrong. That shouldn't have went down like that. That shouldn't have happened. There, There's no reason for that to happen other than the fact that people are spiritually blind and it's the mob mentality thinking that they can overpower people with violence and intimidation. And that is not right. Is that the way Jesus would call for people to do things? I don't think so. I really don't. I really don't believe that that, that is correct. But again, it's, it's eerie that we see this going on in our own culture today and not in a cul-de-sac somewhere in Nebraska. I'm talking about people converging from all places in the United States upon the Capitol building to try to inflict intimidation and harm. And again, it's a, very, it's a big shame if people are Christians doing that because that's not, that's not Christ's way. That's not the way that we go about. You want to fight? A, you want to fight a Christian warrior's battle? It's a spiritual battle. You fight on your knees in prayer. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities in high places. Now, if there comes a time where you have to defend your family and defend yourself, I'm not ever going to tell you to just bow down and, you know, and, and just let people trample over you and raid your house. But I don't think storming the Capitol building was of Jesus Christ. I really don't. Um, but we see examples of this going on in our own country. And this is, again, it's parallel to what's going on here in our text today. It was enraged because, speaking of this mob mentality with Paul, because they believe Paul not only preached against the people, the law and the temple, but he also profaned the temple by bringing in Gentiles into its inner courts. They said that he also brought Greeks into the temple and he's defiled this holy place. Tromiphius the Ephesian 
who they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Um, that wasn't the case. It wasn't what happened. But here's a little background about how serious they were about this, this, uh, you know, this not happening. It was absolutely, absolutely prohibited for Gentiles to go beyond the designated court of the Gentiles in the temple grounds. They were very serious about this, so much so that there were signs that have said to be posted, which read both in Greek and in Latin. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the temple and enclose enclosure anyone who is caught trespassing will bear personal responsibility for his ensuing death so i mean they were going to just flat out kill folks if you were a gentile and you were caught beyond where you were supposed to be you could have been killed for it straight up there was just no they weren't having it they were not having it that's how serious they were about it um the romans on the other hand uh, as far as their power and their control right over this whole system and what was going on they were so sensitive to this that they authorized the Jews to execute anyone that offended them in this way, even if the offender was a Roman citizen. This is how much they wanted to keep power, that they were like, even if it's a Roman citizen, if they mess with y'all like that, you can go ahead and kill them. Now, remember, the Romans were very particular. They wouldn't even let the worst of worst fugitives die on a cross because the cross was so gruesome. But yet in the same sentiment, because of control and power, we see that the Romans were willing to allow one of their own to die if they happened to waltz into you know, the temple past where they were supposed to go, past the courtyard of the Gentiles. So that, that's pretty crazy. But that just gives you a picture of kind of what was going on here and what was, again, another factor in causing these people to be wild up into a frenzy of this mob mentality. But again, this was an assumption that they made. All this was based on assumptions. It wasn't even based on truth. They did no factual fact-checking. They did no research. You know, They didn't ask Paul. They just assumed. And somebody assumed they had some influence. And then everybody else followed. It wasn't backed by truth. They should have been willing to hear Paul out rather than just dump, jump to conclusions. Okay, here's the last portion of our text right here in verses 31 through 36. And it says... And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions, excuse me, and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Okay, so it's getting it's getting real dicey as a... As Daniel would say, it's getting real dicey. It's getting really hairy right now. Um, Paul had been seized by an enraged mob. And the mob didn't just want to take him out of the temple courts. I mean, quite frankly, they wanted to kill him. They wanted him dead. Right there in the outer courtyard area of the temple mount. They weren't going to take him anywhere. They were going to murder him right there. They were going to kill him. Um, Paul had been in near-death attacks by murderous mobs before we know we've read about that in Acts chapter 14 so this isn't the first time um, it, it's happened before but it, you know when you think about it 
It doesn't make it any less nerve-wracking for Paul, the fact that he's been through it before. He's still going to be going through it like, you know, all of the, the just the, the, the normal things that go on. You know, your heightened sense, your fight of flight, all those things are going to take place because, man, you're in the midst of it. you got a gang of people converging on you. I don't know if you've ever had been jumped before by people but it's not a fun experience and may i say that this is not a jumping that's going on with paul and maybe four or five other people this is a mob of people converging on one person it's not a fun experience to even want to envision what could possibly happen so you know he's going through it at this time where you know it, it it's it's a difficult situation that he's caught in But it did strengthen his faith in the Lord. The application is this. When you look back at your walk with Jesus Christ, all of your prior trials that you have walked through and you are still alive, which all of us have been through trials. No one on this Zoom call can say they have not been through a trial. So think personally, make it personal. Every trial that you've ever been through and you're still alive today right now, that should be shaping your faith and your walk with Christ to be stronger and to be able to walk through this trial that you're currently going through. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying there's going to be moments of despair, maybe even doubt. It happens, right? The Lord knows that we're weak. But the reality is you've seen the Lord's hand move upon your life. You've seen the Lord come through and help you in your time of need. In that, remember. Remember how faithful the Lord has been. So the next time you go through a trial, you can trust and rely that you don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know how unscathed you're going to come out of it. Maybe you may lose a limb. Maybe you, you know what I'm saying? But you're going to come out of it. Ultimately, the ultimate, the the, the biggest trial we're all going to go through is passing from this chasm to the next when we have to face death, Right? You have to face death, but knowing that only your physical body is going to perish, but your soul's not going to be tarnished. That's the ultimate test of the trials that you've been through and seeing your faith stand strong in the midst of adversity. Because that, let's face it, that's the biggest adversity you're ever going to face or I'm going to ever face is having to say goodbye to this world. But hopefully we're going to be so overjoyed in that moment of, you know what, I know my loved ones are taken care of. Hopefully they're witness. My witness has been good and been used enough so they've given their life to Christ. I know I'm going to glory. I, I'm leaving behind tears and pain, sadness and hurt, despair and hardship. And you can be overjoyed with the sense of, of peace that you have, his peace that passes all understanding. That's what we see going on here with Paul in a nutshell. Because again, remember, this mob is converging on him. How can you be at peace when a mob is trying to kill you, man? You have to have Christ in you. That's the only way you can be at peace. That's the only way, uh, you know, the old time people that were being burned at the stake for Christ were singing hymns of glory and hallelujah to the Lord as they were being burned to death because they truly had the Holy Spirit living in them and they truly believe. You're not going to die for something you don't believe in. You're not going to die for the truth. Many people die for false things, but who's dying and having joy the joy of the Lord while they're passing from this chasm to the next. Dare I say it is only the true, authentic, real Christian who has that. Next, we see that the news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. 
from the tower of this is we're we're, we're kind of we're picturing now the, the the temple from the tower of the north northwest corner of the temple mount there were more than 500 roman soldiers who were stationed only two flights of stairs from the court of the gentiles so again a mass amount of people there was a lot of soldiers that were there i mean it was going to be brutal if it you know how it was going to go down there was going to be a lot of bloodshed just to control and keep things in order again we have modern day examples of this kind of rioting going on um you think of the protests from last year with all the black lives matter and all that um you know there were many that were peaceful but there were many where I mean, it went from, again, this is a mob mentality. Some people, do you really know why you're even protesting? You know, you claim that you want equality and this and that. I'm going to continue to say it to the day I die. Bring Jesus into the center of the picture. You're not going to have racial equality unless you have Christ in there. If you're just going off of, man, my skin color, I need to be right. I need to have jobs like everybody else. This and that. That's not going to cut it. Anyways, the whole bottom line story was a lot of those protests turned into rioting. I mean, you're looking at uh, Minnesota and what went on there. Just a lot of just nonsense, foolishness, you know, just because you're being, you know, you feel like you've been wrong doesn't give you the right to go destroy all kind of property and people and endanger, you know, police officers. We need first responders, you know. I have much respect for first responders, be it police officers, be it EMTs, be it firefighters. You know, if you don't have those people in place, man, it's just anarchy all over the place. And so, again, we unfortunately, we don't have to look too far <laughs> in our own reality to see the truth of these principles of the text coming out to play because it's all alive and well in our world today. When they saw the commander and the soldiers, this talking of the Jewish mob, they stopped beating Paul. Now... When you look at it, this really, they stop. Well, why did they stop beating him? I mean, they were ready to kill him. <laughs> why are they going to stop? Why were they going to stop? It goes back to that, that, that little thing called your, your, your conscience. Maybe they weren't convicted yet, but it's their conscience, right? You cannot, well, you can actually, let me rephrase from saying that. You can sear your conscience to the point where you just don't care. And you do whatever you do. You can kill in cold blood. And then go go have a hot meal after that. And then go watch a football game because you're like, it's all good. But you're a cold-blooded murderer. That's when your conscience now is seared. And there's no more uh, conviction uh, you know, even able to take place in your heart. But this idea with them, it's kind of like that whole, the hand in the cookie jar. Remember when you are a little kid, mom, dad, maybe grandma, grandpa. Your hand got caught in the cookie jar. I told you not to eat that. <laughs> I caught you red-handed taking that cookie out. You shouldn't have been eating it. They basically got caught red-handed. And because they knew in their hearts they were wrong, they stopped. Had they not been told by the commander, they probably would have murdered him on the spot. But because someone in authority stepped in and called it what they called it, they stopped. They stopped beating him. They literally stopped. This is important because this is an important lesson of the condition of our hearts. Right. Because we can lie to others, but we can't lie to God or ourselves. We can try to convince ourselves or God that we're not wrong. But the Bible is very clear. Right. Be sure your sin will find you out. You only get away with it for so long. Right. You only get away with it for so long. But eventually the truth will come out. 
And if you don't, or if I don't divulge the truth for what it is, oh man, it's going to come out in a way where it's going to embarrass you. It's going to leave a blemish on you. You're going to be hurt by it. Other people are going to hurt by it. It's better that you and I openly confess when we're wrong, when we do something wrong, than to have it pointed out. Remember, David, (laughs) David thought he got away with it. He thought he got away with it. He thought he was in the clear. He's like, man, I'm good. I got I got my new wife. <laughs> I got the new kid on the way. Yada, yada. I'm still the king. Man, and what happened? <laughs> you the man, David. You the man. And, you know, I mean, but but sometimes we need that in order to really convict us. Because we thought we got away with it until the Lord has his way of showing us. You didn't get away with nothing. I, I see you. I see what you're doing. Come, Come repent. Come back to me. You know, but that's the that's the that's the great thing is that we have a loving God who's willing to be patient with us, to be patient with us and allow us to have that repentance. This kid, <laughs> this is this is what happens when you do a, a, a sermon at home during Zoom. Go, go. Come here. Come here. I'm almost done, bud. The Romans didn't sympathize with Paul, but they were interested in keeping public order so they arrested Paul for both his protection and to remove the cause of the uproar now when we see this whole thing about two chains it just means that Paul was handcuffed to a soldier on either side Paul must have immediately remembered the the prophecy of Agabus remember several weeks back we talked about it when um, you know Agabus and then the other Ephesians they all pleaded with Paul don't go to Jerusalem you're going to go through it All right, next we see the fickleness of the following of the crowd, the multitude of the people. Some cried one thing and some cried another, and then they said, away with him. But again, we need to realize that these people were spiritually blind with no discernment. They didn't realize that Paul was doing nothing wrong, teaching the truth about how one could be saved. And the second thing was they didn't understand that violence was not the way to get their message across. The application for us is this. There is always confusion wherever you find spiritual blindness. Just as you find clarity, clear vision, and light with Jesus Christ, you find blindness and darkness without the Holy Spirit. You're being uh, in, influenced by an unclean spirit. And it's, it's, in that sense, it's black and white. There is no gray. I'm sorry, if you think there's gray in spiritual matters, you're completely wrong. There's black and there's white. There's lightness and there's darkness. You're either of the light or of your father, the devil, of the darkness. We are all supposed to be of our father in the light. But if we don't choose Christ, then we are choosing the darkness. And that is the reality. Even though Paul was saved, he was aware that he was going to face persecution and Again, it still had to be a crazy experience for him. When the mob cried out for his death, Paul must, again, had to remember what was going on. Man, I I remember when I was part of when Stephen died. And and again, that that must have been convicting to Paul. And that may have even helped him even more to hold on to his faith and not, uh, you know, reject the name of Christ because he realized, man, I've seen the other side. I see, I've seen the damage a cause by spiritual spiritual blindness. And I used to be spiritually blind, but now I see. And so I'm able to cling to Christ all the much more. Or maybe it even made him realize and remember the trial of Jesus. Remember, 
they said away with him um and and how you know they 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 cried out crucify him and you know all those horrible things that happened to our lord and savior uh, it would have come back to paul's memory and so he had a vivid picture of this in his mind lastly this is the last thing they said away with him <laughs> now when they said away with him they didn't mean take him away from the temple take him away from the temple area they didn't mean take him to prison they meant remove him from the face of the earth they wanted him dead again we see unfortunately the spirit of antichrist influencing this mob of people that's the only reason why someone could be filled with so much rage and anger and hate and animosity to have the desire to want to wipe somebody's life from the face of the earth may we be those who remain rooted in Jesus Christ no matter what circumstances we face and continue to be spiritually awakened in Christ amen let's pray heavenly father lord god uh, we just thank you for your word lord thank you for the timeliness of your message how your word always hits the nail on the head exactly where we're at Lord, may you help us to put into practice what we've heard this morning. May we recognize the importance of being spiritually awake and not being spiritually dead. May we be granted the gift of repentance. May we be granted the gift of conviction, Lord, so that if we're not right with you, we may be able to be right with you through genuine repentance. Lord, help us to be on the trajectory to do the things you call us to do. May we be clean vessels for your usage, for your honor, and for your glory. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.